Emerald Podcast Series. Research that makes a difference. In January 2021, the BSIS published a report about the impact of the COVID-19 crisis on business schools. The BSIS impact survey was undertaken between October and November to learn about the challenges which business schools face across the world as a consequence of the COVID-19 pandemic. The survey seeks to build a picture of the impact of the pandemic, how the sector is responding to these unprecedented challenges, and how business schools see the future. In this podcast, we speak to the authors of that report, Michael Kalika and Deborah Layton, about the future of business education, followed by Andreas Kaplan, who's the dean of the ESCP Business School in Paris. We will then conclude our conversation with Britta Gamelgaard, who is based at the Copenhagen Business School and is editor of Emerald's International Journal of Logistic Management. Okay, well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Hello. So we'll begin with you first, Deborah. What do you think are the biggest challenges facing business schools right now? Well, I think there are a number of internal challenges and some external challenges. So um, maybe if I talk about the internal challenges first, I think that business schools are really facing having to manage the expectations of um, both staff and students, um, their expectations of a remote learning environment. Um, I think they're having to manage a big drop in um, revenue. And at the same time, they're needing to invest in new technologies and upskilling staff. So from an internal perspective, I think those are three very significant challenges. Um, there are external challenges, and I think maybe Michelle might want to comment on those. You know, I think that um, the main challenge is, is now for the business school to manage international partnership and international travels of the students. Some business school, they, they receive a lot of international students. And, you know, when the borders are closed for them, it's, of course, uh, a big challenge. And so it's a big issue, you know. I think it's one of the main challenges that they face during the pandemic and also now. How do you think these challenges vary globally? So, for example, difficulties faced by developing countries. How might a lack of resources add to the challenges of change? I think there's huge variation between business schools that are um, very financially stable and those that have been very badly impacted by the crisis financially. Um, so some of the societal impact of the crisis has been greater in developing countries where the challenges of remote working might be as basic as ensuring a reliable um, electricity supply and reliable access to a mobile phone to be able to access learning. Some business schools have had to completely reorientate their resources and their the projects that their students are doing to really vital life and death projects. Um, so we've been speaking to business school deans recently in uh, Africa and India, for example, where in Africa where the um, the electricity infrastructure is provide is um, proving to be uh, problematic, and in India, where um, we've had one business school that has focused on feeding migrant populations who otherwise wouldn't have access to basic food supplies during the pandemic. Deborah is absolutely right. I think that the the main challenge for the business school 
depends on their internationalization. You know, the, the more internationalized is a business school, the more difficult it is for them to, to manage uh, the, the situation. Uh, some business school uh, have a, a lot of international students, a lot of exchange, a lot of international partnership. So I think that the main difference depends not on the country, but on the degree of internationalization of the business school. Do you think there's a future for full-time on-campus MBA courses, or are those something that are increasingly of the past? I think there's a distinction to be drawn between a post-experience MBA and pre-experience MBA. So for post-experience MBAs, I would say there probably isn't a future for full-time on-campus I think MBAs are likely to become more specialist and blended to accommodate the changing needs of part-time students. Pre-experience MBAs may still operate in a full-time mode, but are unlikely, I think, to be 100% face-to-face, especially as employers are likely to be engaging with the programme at a distance. Yes, I, I do think that for executive MBA, the blended solution will be the, the future solution. It means that some courses will be online and some seminar will be face-to-face. What we learned during the crisis is that the, the manager, they want not only to meet online, they also want to have the opportunity to meet face-to-face and to develop personal exchanges. So tell me about some of the sort of courses you'd like to be you'd like to see being developed. So I would say that a portfolio of undergraduate and postgraduate courses um, in blended learning mode with multiple start dates would um, be a significant opportunity for business schools. So particularly with significant um, digital skills content, including coding. And that isn't the standard at the moment uh, across the sector. I think also um, content that aligns with sustainable development goals is going to become increasingly important. And I think students are increasingly going to be uh, questioning the um, CSR credentials of the courses that they're studying across the piece. So those would be my suggestions. The EFMD recently commissioned a survey to deans of business schools to understand their perceptions of the future of business education. The resulting report highlights the most significant impacts to business education as well as the changes that need to take place. Why did the EFMD decide to commission this report? And um, what were you expecting to find from the results? Was there anything that surprised you? You know, EFMD is an international non-for-profit organization which mission is to help the development of business schools including through accreditation processes and through BSIS. BSIS is a business school impact system. It's a process which main purpose is to assess the impact of business school. So because we focus on impact, it was the right time to question the impact of the crisis on business school and Consequently, on their impact, on their own impact. Was there anything surprising in the research that came out of it? Yes. Maybe first, we expected that business school, of course, mentioned financial impact of the crisis, difficulties in terms of online teaching, 
difficulties in the field of employability of the students. But we were surprised by the fact that business school increased their impact zone during the crisis. And also because of the crisis and because of the free time that the faculty had, the business school can increase their intellectual impact. The research, the publication have been developed during the crisis. Maybe, maybe there is another point uh, of surprise. It is the, the fact that the number of students increase during the crisis. And we can explain that because of the situation of the job market, some students decided to, to begin new training, new courses. So the hybrid model works better than in, in those types of cases, doesn't it? Because uh, are people able to work and then go to school at the same time? Yes, I think so. And um, perhaps, perhaps there is something else to be added just in terms of the, um, I think we were really bowled over by the optimism of business schools in the face of the pandemic and how optimistic they were about the future, given the size of the challenges that they said they were facing. They were incredibly good at flexing their business models and recognising the fact they would have to flex them even more in the future. So I think that that was something that, that surprised us. The report highlights the urgent need to change business school models. How do you think the pandemic has accelerated the need for change? And how do you think business schools are going to adapt? Yeah, you know, in a crisis, there, there are always two sides, danger on one side and opportunities on the other side. We have been surprised by the fact that for numerous business schools, the, the crisis was an opportunity to accelerate changes, more online courses, more blended program, and maybe also to re-specify their program portfolio. We can say that uh, the business school that invests in IT before the crisis, they were able to adapt themselves very quickly. They had the resources to face the crisis. I, th I think that that's very true. And we've spoken to deans and directors since the publication of the survey. And they suggest that they've accommodated perhaps two or three years of change within um, the last 12 months. So they've had to pivot very quickly to address the change that's happened and to capitalise on some of the opportunities that Michelle outlined earlier. In particular, they've had to focus on generating alternative income streams and to really reassure their stakeholders that they are adapting their business models in line with the impact of the pandemic. I think they're likely to adapt in three key ways. First of all, to um, address the balance of income streams in order to assure financial sustainability. That's of great importance. Secondly, to I think they're going to overhaul their course portfolios in terms of the content of the courses and the modes of delivery. And thirdly, I think they're going to align faculty structures and capabilities with the requirements of the post-COVID era, not just in terms of skills, but it's an opportunity to recruit faculty from around the world as there's no longer going to be a need for faculty to live or for all faculty to live locally. I think 
the things that they're not looking at at the moment and perhaps they should be looking at are the requirements of employers. So new forms of engagement with employers and how they can best support the uh, new needs of industry. And they should also look at the student profile. We know a lot about Generation Z, how they interact with learning technologies, how they like to learn. But what about the generation that's coming along behind Generation Z and what uh, their needs are going to be in the near future? You know, maybe maybe the business school discover, thanks to the crisis, the fact that the faculty could be anywhere and the students could be anywhere. So it means that the face-to-face model can be adapted and business school can now recruit faculty in all countries. And they don't need, the faculty don't need mandatory to be in the location of the business school. Well, how are students adapting to these changes? So I, I think that there's a huge continuum of responses to the changes. So I think where business schools have done um, a good job of flexing their provision quickly and meeting student expectations and setting out very clearly what they're going to provide, I think the students have been very positive about their experience. And certainly um, in terms of their digital skills development for employability as well as for learning, I think they recognise the fact that they've come an awfully long way. I think at the other end of the spectrum, there are business schools who have not made the investment in the technology, in the platforms, in the apps that students are expecting. They haven't set clear expectations and students have been dissatisfied and perceive that they're not getting value for money. Of course, we have undergraduate students with very different expectations from our executive education students and our postgraduate students. Um, We have um, degree apprenticeships and other models of delivery. And I think there's a lot of work to do over the coming months in terms of finding out exactly um, how students have responded to um, the efforts of business schools to meet their expectations during and since the uh, first um, series of lockdowns across the world. Do you think that moving online for a lot of courses is changing the culture of business schools? I think coming back to what Michelle said at the beginning, that the business schools, there are opportunities as well as disadvantages of uh, moving online. And again, there is a huge variation in the quality of the provision and the quality of the interactions with students. For business schools who face an international market with uh, international students, with international faculty, maybe we can think that these business schools, they will in the future use more largely IT to connect faculty and students, but maybe it will also depend on the program. The situation is not the same for bachelor or master program and executive education program. I think that for undergraduate program, the students, they are able to adapt very quickly to online teaching, but what is missing is the social life. And you know, in a business school, The added value is not only in the amphitheater, in the classroom. The added value is also through social life, 
common project group of students working together with the supervision of one faculty. And that's not always easy for students who don't know each other to manage this kind of pedagogy. So I think it's more difficult for undergraduate students to have distance learning. For executive education, maybe the situation is quite different. The manager are more used maybe to work remotely. I'd like to turn now to Andreas Kaplan, who's the dean of the ESCP Business School in Paris. Thank you for joining me today, Andreas. I'd like to jump right in by asking you about the future of business schools. Do you think there's a future for full-time on-campus MBA courses, or are those increasingly becoming something of the past? Well, uh, I don't think that they will disappear, um, because, I mean, if we, if we look at it, um, what is a full-time MBA? I mean, it's, it's a program which is uh, for participants uh, who already worked uh, for a couple of years in the company, who most likely did not have any management studies, and uh, after a couple of years in their professional lives, they feel that there is a need uh, for some courses, management courses in the uh, various disciplines, management, um, strategy, marketing, um, finance. So I think there's always a, a group of people uh, which are looking for such a program. Now, I think also that uh, the uh, total number of participants, if we look at all the number of participants in MBA programs around the world, I think there is going to be a decrease. But uh, this is also a bit the uh, fault of, or, yeah, the fault of business schools who increasingly diversified their uh, program portfolio. You know, a couple of uh, decades ago, there was a business school had one program, which was the MBA program. Now they have uh, master programs, specialized master programs, specialized MBAs, executive MBAs, all these different uh, programs. And the, and the more variety you offer to to potential um, students or participants obviously they they will divide so they and uh, this leads to less students per program type then there is another question and and this uh, but this is not uh, making disappear an mba uh, it's the question of the program fees In, increasingly um, students potential students uh, look at the return on investment and obviously, if we look at uh, program fees of 200K, uh, the return on investment must be very high, uh, especially since you now have uh, the possibility to participate in, in, in or attend uh, MOOCs uh, of the best business schools in the world. And I'm, I'm talking about that a little bit in, in my book with the example of Laurie Pickard, um, who looked into uh, MBA programs, but uh, who decided that uh, this would be uh, too expensive. And then she came up with her own uh, curriculum, uh, MBA curriculum, participating in various MOOCs, uh, certified uh, MOOCs at the best institutions in the world, Harvard, Yale, uh, London Business School. She got the same kind of credits as uh, if she attended a normal MBA program. And uh, this, all this for a fraction of the cost. And I think in, in the future, the more companies or who, which accept uh, that also such a, a homemade or self-made uh, MBA curriculum, uh, they, the more they accept it, uh, these credentials, the more it's going to be a, a problem for a, a business school. And maybe fees might decrease if that uh, were to happen. Then again, obviously, it's a dynamic market. The more companies uh, 
accepting uh, MOOCs, certified MOOCs uh, for getting job interviews, etc. If business schools see that, uh, they obviously get the feeling, and uh, rightly so, that they cannibalize themselves. So I guess uh, the certification of MOOCs will also increase in, in price. Tell me about some of the sort of courses you'd like to see developing and why. In terms of courses, I think, uh, or, or teaching content, we're anyway moving more from knowledge acquisition, pure knowledge acquisition, to the development of uh, skills. And um, I think, uh, first of all, you need to, to teach students to autonomously or to be able to autonomously learn. As I, as I said before, uh, lifelong learning becomes more and more important because the job uh, requirements uh, kind of change at the pace of uh, mobile phone updates. So I don't think that the early, early life degree will be enough for your entire professional career. Now, um, since uh, the requirements change so uh, quickly, I also don't think that uh, all, any, at any time when, when students uh, or when alumni then, in this case, need to upskill, reskill, that they can always come back uh, to their business school. So they need to be able to autonomously learn and uh, they need to learn that already during their studies, study time. Um, and uh, some one way of, of being able to autonomously uh, get a certain expertise uh, knowledge is if you uh, teach them from a more multidisciplinary, interdisciplinary approach, because the more different uh, subjects and areas they already saw during their studies, not, not very much in depth, uh, but to get a certain um, vocabulary, uh, of a very a variety of different subjects, the easier it is then for them with the uh, basic vocabulary to find themselves uh, the content they can learn auto autonomously. So I think that that's very important. Uh, then obviously, we, I mean, again, digitalization. I think every uh, student uh, of a business school needs to learn uh, at least on a, on a very basic level uh, programming um, programming skills again. Um, I always uh, do the um, uh, the example or give the example. If you want to work with, uh, let's say, China, uh, it uh, would help to have some basic knowledge in uh, the Chinese Chinese culture or China, uh, Chinese language. And uh, it's the same in the future. We're more and more going to work together with the machines, robots, uh, AI-driven systems. And uh, if you have at least a basic knowledge of their language. That helps. So I think this this uh, this is important, and then um, anything connected to business ethics, uh, to sustainability, to these societal challenges. Also here, I think uh, we're going to see more and more courses on these topics, because a business school there is business in the world, but there's also school in the in in, in the world. And uh, so a business school has a societal um, calling or a purpose. And uh, so uh, business school needs to, needs to teach their students uh, these topics. In your recent book, you discuss how universities can protect themselves from future disruptions and threats to the university business model by ensuring strong relationships with their communities. Can you tell us a bit about this and why these relationships will be so key to ensuring the relevancy of the 21st century university? Well, uh, for several reasons. But uh, first of all, as I said, uh, courses because of digitalization also get uh, or, or content uh, due to the digitalization also gets to a certain degree uh, 
a commodity. Uh, you know, a basics in a marketing uh, course is around the world the same. So um, it's not so much about the content anymore, uh, but it's about getting uh, close contact to a professor, getting uh, like in an exchange closely with the professor, getting uh, the networking, which is also an important factor of uh, why somebody um, attends a business school, uh, exchanging with fellow students uh, after class and extracurricular activities. All this is very uh, important and adds a lot of value uh, to the program. And I think uh, a business school has a huge interest in creating uh, these possibilities for networking, possibilities for uh, students to exchange with each other, uh, to have this uh, close contact to, to a professor. Because this is uh, why probably students will, will come to campus in, in, in the future. If not, they can just stay home uh, and uh, participate in some um, online courses wherever it is in the world. And it's very important that they get attached to their business school. And this, this is uh, this, the second reason why, uh, why this community building is, is so important. Uh, and this is now uh, me as a marketing professor talking in, in the beginning of my career, academic career, I did a lot of research on um, customer relationship management. And uh, one of the uh, basic rules is uh, that uh, customer acquisition is a lot more expensive than uh, customer retention. And uh, if you think of it, to get a student into your business school, I mean, there's the marketing budget, uh, which, uh, which is uh, quite high. Uh, then you have, uh, depending on the program, 60% of uh, students uh, get or candidates you get via positive word of mouth. Um, so that there's a high acquisition cost. If you um, achieve that they are happy with you, satisfied uh, with uh, their time at uh, your business school, they, they might come back uh, as alumni for executive education. They uh, will... Um, work for you as brand advocates, uh, talk about you and uh, make a promotion for you. And the same, I mean, it's not even only for students, the same works for professors. Professors, to recruit a professor has a huge uh, acquisition cost, uh, time from other professors to do the interviews. Um, it takes a long time to find the right profile uh, uh, for, for your business school of a professor. And then uh, usually early in their career, they get to teaching decharge, so they don't have to teach as much as a more experienced professor, which has a high cost for a business school, but you want to give them the opportunity to uh, work on their research. But if you don't manage to attach those professors, those younger uh, or early career uh, professors in their early careers, so if you don't manage to attach them to uh, your business school, then after five years, six years, seven years, they will leave. And uh, so you lost the entire acquisition cost. And again, retention is less costly than acquisition. You've done a lot of work at ESCP on sustainability and linking parts of your curriculum to the UN's SDGs. Can you tell me about how and why business schools should adopt a sustainability focus in their teaching and business practices? Well, the why is quite simple. Um, as I said, I think a business school has also a societal purpose and sustainability is important. Uh, so we need to teach our students uh, about sustainability. But it's actually not that difficult because uh, students ask for it. It's actually students uh, who drive uh, business schools, spur business schools uh, to um, 
increasingly uh, offer courses on sustainability. And uh, I mean, I saw it at least at ESCP whenever we uh, provided or delivered an elective on sustainability, then students demanded to have a core course on sustainability. Whenever there were the, it was the core course, then they demanded a uh, entire specialization consisting of several courses on sustainability and uh, in the end they wanted even to have a, a, an entire program on sustainability so also this uh, we now have so it's really the students who demand uh, for more uh, courses on sustainability because i think but this is my interpretation i think that students understood that uh, making a perfect career financially speaking is not enough if at the same time um due to a, a global warming or climate change-induced hurricane or a tornado, uh, your rooftop terrace gets destroyed. So, I mean, you know, it's, it's not going to work uh, without uh, having a more sustainable uh, lifestyle. <clears throat> so I think that that's why we, we need to integrate sustainability and why students want to, have, uh, to, want to see more sustainability in, in, in their business school. By the way, not only in, in, in terms of academic uh, content, but also in terms of operations, because you need to have, uh, you need to be credible. So it, it, uh, and I saw that at ESCP uh, Business School that uh, you cannot just teach uh, about sustainability if at the same time uh, students see that your operations, you manage your business school not in a sustainable way. So you need to have some recycling in, in, in your business school. You need to uh, have a sustainable lighting system, a sustainable heating system, but <clears throat> you can also be very open and uh, transparent, or you need to be very uh, open and transparent with the students that you cannot be completely sustainable in all er areas. And I give you an example. At ESCP uh, in Berlin, we are in a building which is uh, classified as historical monument. And uh, uh, to exchange uh, the windows, I mean, one window costs uh, a fortune. So Obviously, those windows are very old and they are not really um, the best sustainability uh, windows, sustainable windows with respect to heating, etc. Uh, but you need to be open and uh, students understand. Uh, at the same hand side, you need to also do, to lead uh, by example. Uh, also here, I can tell you a little anecdote. At some point, one student asked me how I can preach about sustainability if I make in my office uh, my coffee always with a capsule coffee maker which produces a lot of aluminium so obviously you need to be coherent and um, so you, i needed to, to find another way to make my coffee uh, although coffee in itself is obviously not very sustainable so um yeah uh, and how to integrate it uh, well in, in the operation side it's it's easier because it's it's just a decision of top management to integrate sustainability into operations. On the academic side, it's a little bit more tricky because there is uh, this uh, concept of academic freedom, which is uh, very good. But each professor can decide what he she uh, wants to integrate in uh, his her courses. So you could not force them to integrate uh, sustainability in their courses. Now, with the topic of sustainability, obviously, it's not so difficult to convince uh, professors to integrate something like that <clears throat> in their courses. However, they might not necessarily know how to do so. So you need to, we thought we, we needed to give them some trainings on that, how to connect their uh, specific uh, course subject with SDGs. Uh, so we, we, we started that a couple of, uh, some time ago to, to really give them trainings, provide them a training. So 
propose them to participate in trainings on how to integrate sustainability um, topics into their courses. And then professors uh, are very busy people, uh, have a, not much time. So also here, if, uh, if the institution or, or if you as an institution decide that uh, sustainability is important for you, then you need to give them the time. Uh, you need to free up some time for them that they actually can update their courses with uh, sustainability matters. We would now like to turn to Britta Gamelgaard to discuss the changing needs of students. As Professor of Supply Chain Management at the Copenhagen Business School in Denmark, Professor Gamelgaard is involved in teaching and supervising a number of programs, as well as having responsibility for the Global Bachelor Program. Thank you for inviting me. Do you think, um, have you noticed that students' needs have changed in terms of what they want from an MBA? Well, by and large, in Denmark, we don't have MBAs. We have Master of Science courses. I'm not sure that makes a difference. But uh, no, that is not what I have observed. They want to get back to school. I can I can tell you that for sure. And we hope that that will happen here um, close to summer. Uh, we're opening up a little bit for now, but only for about, well, 20% of our students can come and do their group work, uh, have the study uh, rooms. But they really want to interact. They they are fed up with online courses only. So tell me about some of the courses you'd like to see developing and why. Yeah. So uh, should there be new courses here? Well, uh, maybe, maybe not. But let me just start here uh, talking a little bit or refer here to an article recently published in Academy of Management, Learning and Education by a CBS colleague of mine, Robin Holt. The title of this article is um, Hannah Arendt and the Raising of Conscience Conscience in Business Schools. And Hannah Arendt was um, a philosopher. I think she was American, but definitely with uh, German roots. But already in 1961, she claimed that there was a crisis in education. And she had three um, observations here. The first was that scholarship of teachers uh, had become incidental and education had become groupthink. So instead of have the deep insight, disciplinary insight, I mean, it became a kind of superficial. So then the next uh, observation she had was that here the disciplinary knowledge was lost in the professional interests in communication and dissemination of processes. So you can say that there was now more focus on pedagogy rather than the disciplinary content. And again, that means that you actually get quite superficial in education. And then the third aspect Holt mentions, and then referring again to uh, Arendt, is that learning had become technical. And then subservient um, and an unthoughtful preparation for commercial interests enjoying temporary ascendancy. So uh, that means, okay, whenever there's a huge interest in finance, because we had a financial crisis, then everybody will just uh, try to learn the techniques about that. And nowadays you can maybe think, okay, it will be supply chain management due to the COVID-19 and personal um, protection equipment crisis. But again, it becomes 
technical. So that means that you are learning something on the superficial level, but you never get deep into the substance. You never ask the critical questions of, so what is it we are learning? Why should we learn this? How does it create meaning for me and uh, my fellow students and other in the society? And um, so here, I must say that I recognize these aspects. I, I have seen that. As I mentioned, I have been in the in the industry, if you can call it that, for a long time. And I have felt and see that development also in my professional life. So maybe it is time now to counter-react to that. And um, it's time to focus less on knowledge and more on uh, meaning. And as uh, they also say, the authors here, uh, on conscious conscience <laughs> that's how I'd uh, to say and that means that you also ask the critical questions to existing uh, knowledge so um so again we, we need of course knowledge is not bad but here you you just need to get underneath the surface and uh, so that you don't just reproduce knowledge without thinking about the consequences for people and also the planet for that matter. So when I'm talking about people and planet, you may think, okay, so now we are coming into sustainability. And yes, of course I am. Sustainability and corporate social responsibility. But I mean, it's not limited to that. I would say that in general, we need more in-depth thinking, asking the critical in an academic sense questions to the discipline so that we actually capture a meaning, purposeful learning here. So that is what I want more than anything else. So uh, so you can still have, I mean, also the same courses, supply chain management, for example, that is my field, you can still have that. Uh, but then you would have the critical, the sustain sustainability issues and so on integrated in the courses as a natural thing, actually. So you will not need to have separate courses on sustainable supply chain management as we have now. We also have that now at CBS. So it should be integrated in all courses. That would be my ideal. That would be great. How committed are business schools to developing global solutions and what do you think they can do better to accelerate their impact? Yeah, well, you can say, is it really the task of a business school to develop global solutions? And again, thinking about, about my own business school, Copenhagen Business School, I could say, well, maybe it's not the school's obligation as such, but they have to create the framework for us academics to fill out. So if they are or support development of, uh, for example, a program in green transition, they set the framework and then it's up to us to actually fill them out and also to some extent follow orders. That is probably not a good word and certainly not for academics. We don't like that. But get the inspiration and see here is really a very important um, uh, societal problem that we need to address. That could also be, um, uh, well, poverty, um, 
in other countries and so on. And again, from a supply chain perspective, that is really very, very important also to think about, again, having a conscious about what it is you do when you're promoting supply chain management, outsourcing, offshoring, and so on. So what are the consequences here? So, well, of course, you can always say that we need more, but I do think a lot is happening. Um, I can mention also in, in the UK, for example, in recent years, they have focused a lot on uh, modern slavery. And that is, of course, not only in the UK or in in Europe. We have it that in Denmark also, unfortunately. But, uh, but it also has, um, well, global implications. So I, and I also want to mention uh, a special UN program. Of course, everybody knows, at least around here, that the UN has these uh, seven um, sustainability uh, goals or objectives. But UN also has a so-called global compact initiative called the Principle for Responsible Management Integration, or PRME. And here, uh, that is something a business school signs up for. And then you report every year. So how do you actually integrate uh, sustainability in your educational programs? I think that is a very good initiative, actually. Yeah, so I think a lot is happening. But again, as I mentioned before, you could always wish for more, and you probably should. And then there's actually also another factor we just need to take into account here, and that is uh, funding. So what are funding opportunities? And of course, with money, you can manage people a long way, I would say. And here, well, EU um, has big research funding, and actually, well, we didn't used to have that in Denmark, but recently we have got a good deal directed towards green transition. But but that is, of course, also very important. And uh, to my knowledge, business schools follow also these developments intensively. So I'm not so worried, but again, we should always look for more. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find a transcript of my conversations on our website, as well as more information about our guests. I'd like to thank Joe Jones and Kim Chadwick for the help with today's episode, and Alex Jungis of This Is Distorted.